Some of you may know my awesome husband. He, uh, I met him when he was 17, and I was 14. And now that I have an almost eight-year-old, that makes me a little nauseous. Um, but we grew up together, and we've grown together, and I'm thankful that the Lord did that for me because he protected me from so many things that other young women go through. And I got saved at 14. I grew up in the tabernacle, and I was just taken into that family, and I'm so very grateful for it, and I'm honored and I'm privileged to be speaking to you guys today. Um, I believe I have a word from God, and I'm excited to share it. Um, in 2018 was a really rough year for me and the Lord really, I really depended on my word and I love, I have loved Jesus passionately since the moment I got saved. I really, really did. But in 2018, I was two kids in, I had been married for a few years in, and I just really had a passion to learn the word for myself. And like I said, if you do know my husband, he knows the word like the back of his hand. I mean, he just spits stuff out. And he did grow up in the church, and he grew up in the word, so that's amazing. But I wanted to be like that, right? So I really started depending on the word. So I have a lot of word for you today. So I pray you keep up with me. Um, and I'm going to pray real quick. Lord God, I thank you, Father, for the opportunity, Lord, to be used as a mouthpiece for you, God. I pray that every woman under the sound of my voice, Lord God, would feel your heart, that they would begin to know you the way that you have showed yourself to me, Lord God. I pray that this word penetrates deep, Father, that it challenges them to go forth into their communities, back to their church, back to their families, Father, to make a difference and to stamp people's heart with your name. Amen. I'm going to jump right in. Um, I am talking to you guys about loving the next generation today, and that is extremely important because we're not going to be around forever, right? We're not. We're all going to go on to eternity, and there's going to be people here to keep running that race behind us, and we need to make sure that we're equipping them, and we're encouraging them, and we're lifting them up so that they can keep running. And I'm going to jump right into 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 and 9 says, he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, love. in this, the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live through him. So we know that this whole conference has been about love, but if we don't know God, then we don't know love. Because it says very clearly here, it's not confusing at all, that God is love. And who is God? God is a father. God is a friend. God is a teacher. God is a brother. He relates to us in every area of our life. It all goes back to God, and it all goes back to love. And in 1 Corinthians 13, which we've heard several times this last few days, in the beginning of 1 Corinthians 13, it talks about the Christian who does know God, right? They're this great minister. They're this great leader. They know all the things about the word. They could be the greatest prayer warrior, the greatest missionary, and it all leads down to, and it says, but if you know how to do all these things and you don't have love, then, then you're useless, and it doesn't matter. And at the end of the day, God's not going to get the glory because there's no love in it. So we don't want to be those things without love. And I'm going to read verse 4 through 7. 
Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, and it endures all things. And I'm going to harp on verse 7 throughout this word. And the first um, thing I want to note is that in verse 7, it starts with, love bears all things. It takes on all things. It protects. It has their back. We need to bear in, scoop under the people that we're running next to, the, the young women and the young men that are running behind us. We need to have their back. They need to know that we're there, right? In the Greek word that is used for bears all thing in this specific verse is, bear with me if you're good at uh, pronouncing Greek words, stego, and it means to cover closely, Generally, to bear up under, kind of like a child, right? A, a scared child. They, they come up underneath you because they know that's a safe place. Nothing can get them there, right? Um, and specifically, it means like a roof. So think like a roof on your house or any type of covering. And the theologian W.E. Vines, he says it this way, and I love it. He says, the bearing in this verse refers to it supports what is placed upon it and it covers what is placed beneath it. Think about that. The roof on your house should be able to support whatever is placed on it. It should be able to take any storm that comes its way. You should be able to climb up on your roof to hang your Christmas lights. It's able to support a weight, right? It's able to withstand a storm. At the same time, it also protects whatever's underneath it and it covers it, and nothing can get in, and nothing can get out if it's done properly. So we need to support the generation that's behind us. We need to tell them, you're doing great. You have something heavy, I'll help you carry it. You're battling with this, let me battle with you. You don't feel safe, come up under me. Let me show you. Let me carry that weight with you. We can't just push them out and say, good luck. I've been there, done that. I already did my turn. That's not the way that the kingdom works. We need to be there. We need to cover them. The second thing in verse 7 says that we need to believe all things. Love believes all things. And how many of you know when you believe something, you want other people to believe it, right? You want other people to believe it. You support it. You invest in it. You take your time with it, right? So to believe something means that you believe it's true. You acknowledge that it's true. And you push others. And you encourage others. And you show others why it's true and why we believe it. We need to invest in the next generation. Investing does not mean just come watch what I do. And when they say, I'm having trouble with this, or I may not understand, go read that in your word. Yes, the word is great. It's the best tool they'll, they'll ever be given. Invest what you know. Invest what you've been shown by the Lord and show it to them. 
Let them see you live your life. The best tool that the Lord gives us is transparency. Let people see you live. Let them see your house a mess. Let them see your kids cutting up. Let them see you falling apart. But at the end of the day, let them see you bring it back to the Lord. Because he can do it all. He can do it all. I'm going to read, um, I'm going to bring y'all through the story of Ruth. It's my very favorite book in the Bible. Um, I really, really relate to the book of Ruth. I love it, love it, love it. There's so much to learn there from being a woman in Christ. And if, you, if you're not familiar with the book of Ruth, um, Naomi is a mother-in-law to Ruth and Orpah, and she has a very sad story, Naomi. Her husband passes away, so, um, and her two sons, so poor lady is now a widow, and she has now lost her two sons, so she says, we're going to move, because the land they're in is in a famine, so she's going to move to a place where she can be taken care of, and she can live, and the two, um, daughter-in-laws, they go, they go with her. I'm sorry, I had that story wrong. They go there, the sons get married, the sons die, and then she's going to leave. She's going to go back home because the land she's from in Bethlehem is no longer in a famine. So she says, I'm going to go. You have no place for me, right? I have no sons for you. They, are now, they have now passed away. Stay in your homeland because you know people here, right? Your people are here. So you stay here. I'm going to go back to my people and you stay with your people. And they tell her, no way, we're not doing that. They have become, they've become attached to her, right? Because she's probably guided them and taught them and loved them as they were married to her sons. And so she says, you stay. And they challenge her and they say, no, we're, we're going to come with you. We love you. We want to be with you. We don't want you to be alone, right? And, um, so Naomi here is basically expressing to them what she believes needs to happen. She believes that she is doing what's best for her daughters-in-law. She believes that what needs to happen is that they stay to live their life. And let's read in Ruth chapter 1. Sorry, guys. Verse 14, I'm going to start there. It says... Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. And Ruth says this, and I'm sure you're very familiar. Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will, be, there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. Listen to verse 18. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking. When she saw that Ruth had a passion and she, she knew and she believed that what needed to happen was that she stick with her and she go wherever her mother-in-law went. Naomi accepted that. She said, okay, I'm going to trust you there, right? 
Because when we stop trying to convince somebody what we think is right and we trust what the Lord says, his plan will do what it's purpose to do. So she stops because she realizes that Ruth has, she has determined in her heart, the Lord had already spoken to Ruth and said, no, this woman is where you're going to be. Her God will be your God. Her people will be your people. And when she expresses what God has shown her to her mother-in-law, she trusts it. She sees the Lord in it, right? And Ruth shows herself determined And she stays by her side. And from this point on, Naomi goes from being a mother-in-law who thinks that she can make all the decisions, that she knows what's best, that she's going to order them to do what she believes is right, to a mother-in-law who's now walking beside Ruth, trusting the same God, trusting the same heart, and walking towards the same purpose into the next season of their life. Because now they're going to move forward Neither one of them have husbands. Neither one of them have children. And they're moving into a new season, unknown territory. We're going to move on. The next thing love does is it hopes all things. It hopes all things. Now, hope is the expectation and the anticipation that what we we believe in is going to be to its fullest. We're going to see it to its fullest. We're going to see it to its best uh, potential. We hope and we believe in what we know, know of the Lord. Hope and faith go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. And our level of faith in Jesus will determine our hope for and in our next generation. Our level of faith in who God is will determine the hope we have for the generation behind us. Because if we don't have faith in who he is, and we don't think that his plan is best, and that his purpose is best, and we try to do what we think is best, we're not going to have any hope for them. Because sometimes we look behind us and we're like, are you kidding me? Is this the plan? Are you kidding me? And I can say that because I was a youth pastor for 10 years, but I can tell you now that there are women in this room that I was a youth pastor of who have grown up to be women, mighty, fervent, praying warriors of the Lord. And when I saw them at 13 years old, I would have never said, you're going to be that person. (laughs) I would have never seen that purpose in them if I didn't trust the Lord. God has a plan. We have to have faith in it to have hope for the next generation, to have hope for the future, that what God sees is what we can see. In Hebrews 11, 1, and this is in the NLT version, it says, faith, and I love the way it says this, shows the reality of what we hope for. Shows the reality of what we hope for. It's the evidence of things we cannot see. It's the evidence. See, the generation after us, and Chris and I talk about this a lot, because no matter who, how old you are in here, there's a generation after you. I may be your next generation. There's a generation behind me, right? There's always someone behind you. But the one behind me and the one that I've seen uh, come up under me as I've been in ministry, they have come from some of the most broken homes, 
And I know that it's not just little old Shalmet. I know that it's not. The most broken homes. You see, when I was growing up, there may have been divorced families, but there was two parents. They may have been in different homes, but there was a dad and there was a mom for the most part. We're seeing now families that, that mom doesn't even know who dad is, right? So from the start, these women and these young men have an identity issue because they don't know where they came from. They can't understand how God can have a plan for them because there was never a plan for them in the natural. But when we have a hope, when we have a hope in them, what it does is it brings an expectation of them. And it says, I believe that God has a plan for you and I expect and I encourage you to walk in it. And when you set a bar for a young person, it's like a challenge stirs up in them and they need to meet it. Because just as much as this generation came from brokenness, they are a generation that they don't take no nonsense from people. And that's why I'm so passionate about being a Christian woman that doesn't take anything from the enemy. Because they're a generation that they're not backing down easy. They're not. They believe what they believe and they are stubborn. But God is bigger. He's so much bigger. And if we expect more from them, we have to encourage them that they are able. That they can serve a God who has created them to be able to run the race. To be able to walk in victory over whatever they need to overcome. And Naomi's hope was that Ruth would grow into a woman that God destined her to be. He destined her to be it. Let's look over at at Ruth 2, verse 2. So Ruth, the Moabitess, said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. She said to her, Go. Whose idea was it to go to the field? Not Naomi's. It was Ruth. She didn't have to tell her, go do this. Ruth began to get revelation of what needed to happen. The next generation is the one who said, let me go try this. If we say, no, that's not the right way. That's not how I would have done it. She's not going. She's not going. And let's read. Let's jump down to verse three through five. I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 3 through 5. Let me flip on over here. Therefore, some time passed by. Wash yourself and anoint yourself. Put on your best garment and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. And I'll jump down in the story a little bit. Ruth's been working in the field She um, meets a family member of Naomi, which is a blessing in itself, and she is going out and she's making herself known so that she can um, have a purpose, right? So Ruth's idea was to go to the field. She still needs Naomi to give her instruction, and that's what's happening here. She's loving her enough to say, yes, God is honoring you in that field. He has allowed you to meet Boaz, but let me show you a better way. Let me show you the Lord's way. Go clean yourself up. 
Make yourself presentable. Have some respect for yourself, right? That's how we would say it. So she not only supported Ruth, she trusted Ruth to go out and do the work of the Lord. Naomi still is not going out into the field herself. She's not saying, let me come micromanage everything you do here. She's saying, this is what I believe the Lord is saying. Let me give you some instruction and then trust you to go out and do it. We have to expect and encourage and trust that they're going to move forward and take that baton. Let's move forward because I'm running out of time. The last thing love does is it endures all things. It endures all things. And y'all, my hubby is so proud. I'm using two Greek words in here. But when I tell y'all I began to study the word in 2018 and just recently the Lord has, has given me just a heart to learn uh, just the reasons why certain words are used in the word. I mean, if you dive deep into it, there's so much more revelation there. The last thing it does is it endures all things. And the Greek word used here for that is hupomeno. And this means to stay behind and wait. In other words, it means be patient, right? Be patient. Because if any of you have kids in here and you're in the middle of a phone call and you're checking out your groceries and your kid's saying, mom, 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 what do you say? Wait. That's what I say. Wait. Sometimes I don't have to say, I just need to do the finger, right? Wait. Be patient. Be patient. We have to be patient. There are people that were patient with you and we need to remember that. I know there were people that were patient with me. I said I came in at 14. I am not the same person I was when I came to know the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And I believe there's a reason that patience is the last attribute of love listed here. Because, you see, there's strategies and there's wisdom that do need to be passed down to the next generation behind you. There are things that the Lord has shown you that he has not shown them yet. But we have to be patient with them in their season. We have to trust that God's doing a work in them. Because, you see, there's strategies and there's things that God has given the next generation that he's not going to give you. Because you can't handle it, you can't run with it, you can't even think of the things that they think of sometimes. There have been times that people underneath me have come to me with ideas and I'm like, I would have never seen it that way, ever. That's the Lord. And we need to trust and we need to apply the wisdom that the Lord has given us through our experiences and through our revelation of him. And we need to take the ideas of the next generation and apply our wisdom to it. And that's how a race keeps running, right? A race doesn't keep running when we stop and we pause and we finagle it a little bit and we say, let me change this around. No, let me take this, put some wisdom on it, put some Jesus on it. You keep running with it, right? Because the Lord can use it. And you see, a race is to be endured, and we know this because in Hebrews 12, 1, I'm going to read it very quickly. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run our race with endurance. Now, endurance means consistency, right? I'm not a runner. 
but I know there's probably runners in here. But I do know that if I wanted to become a runner, I would have to build my endurance. I can't just wake up tomorrow and say, I'm going to run five miles today. It's not going to happen. It's not gonna, I might get one, but I'm still, I might be on the ground after. It's a slow and steady and repetitious race that the Lord is in. And we have to run our race alongside them running theirs. We can't run it for them. They can't run into our lane. It is a relay race. And God is never ending. And he goes from glory to glory to glory. And it is not our job. It is not our job to worry if their race looks different or if their race takes a different turn. Is their race going to eternity? Is their race winning people to the lost? And is there love in it? Because if we're just running and we're rolling over people and we're trampling over people, that's not Jesus. That's not Jesus. Let's read Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. For I'm about to do something new. See, have I have already begun? Don't you see it? I love that verse. Because, you see, I don't think the Lord's saying, can you find it, right? Have you ever um, needed to explain to your husband where something was in your fridge or your house? Or just really anybody. I'm going to go with my husband because it happens a lot in my house. I will be at work or I'll be somewhere and he'll say, I can't find, we don't have ketchup. And I'm like, yes, it's on the third drawer. Look to the left. And he's like, how do you do that? I'm like, like, do you not see the ketchup? It's right there. And I feel like that's what God is saying here. He's saying, I'm doing something new. And all you're doing is complaining that it doesn't look the way you think it should look. Don't you see it? Don't you see it? What he's saying is, open your eyes. I have put these people where they need to be. I know where they are. I know they have flaws. I know they have problems, but they're not finished. Open your eyes. Don't you see it? I'm doing something new. And see, believing that the Lord is doing something new extends our faith so much. And that is something to be respected. It's something to be loved by the next generation. And I'm going to close here and I'm going to jump over to Ruth 4. And now I've taken you through the whole chapter. So if you've never read it, here you go. Chapter 4, verse 14 and 15. Listen to this. And may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. He's speaking to Naomi. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. So to take you through this, um, Ruth gets married. She has a child. And now Naomi is living in her glory. And because she trusted the Lord to use the next generation, because she didn't micromanage, because she didn't say, no, I told you to go back, go back, because she didn't put her foot down and say, no, this is what I believe is right. She trusted that Ruth was hearing from the Lord. She is able to walk in her glory, and she is far more blessed than she would have ever been if she would have stuck with what she believed was true. Because she loved enough. And because Naomi bore all things, and she believed all things, and she hoped all things, and she was patient, and she endured through her season. It was not, a t- it was not an easy time in her life. It was very, very tough. 
She probably felt very isolated and very alone, very lost. But she did it all in love, and she was blessed far greater than she could have ever dreamed. And you know who else was blessed? Ruth. Because she was able to see a generation that cared and noticed her and loved her greatly. And so what I want to challenge you today to do before I close in prayer is find somebody behind you. Look back. Find somebody who's looking at you. Listen to them. Listen. They have wild ideas, y'all. They're they're wild. But if you put Jesus on it, they're they're the ones that can reach this world. They're the ones because the world is not the same. And it's not going to be the same. And it's only going to get worse because he's coming. And we need that next generation to get a grip of Jesus, to get a grip of who he really is, of who we know he is. They need to see it. And they need to see it in love. So find that person. Find that person at your church. Get it, bring them up under you. Bear everything that they have. Bear their burdens and run with them. I'm going to pray for you. Lord God, I thank you, Father, for each woman here. Lord God, I thank you, Lord, that you have placed us here for such a time as this, Lord God, that you strengthen our knees, Lord God, to run our race, Father. You allow us, Father, to look beside us, to look behind us, and look forward to you, Jesus. Lord God, I thank you, God, that that we're not running our own race, Father, but we're running yours, Lord God, and we're grabbing everybody we can alongside of us, Father, to bring people to your kingdom so that we can live in eternal glory with you, Jesus. Amen and amen and amen.